It is now 45 seconds past 8 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. But remember, next week, Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, it will be... Time for Rocky Jordan. Not far from the Musk Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, The Man They All Love. The Egyptian desert isn't the best place in the world for a man who likes to hunt. But once in a while, the fleet-footed gazelle makes things interesting. So a couple of friends and I decided to take the day off, drive up the Nile near Helwan, and try our luck. It was quite a way, so I was up about four in the morning. I was still half asleep as I went down the stairs from my quarters to the half-lighted cafe. The tambourine still reeked with oriental tobacco smoke from a few hours before... As I walked along the bar past the empty tables, I never felt so glad to get away from a place in my life. I was wondering what a little fresh air would smell like as I cut off the light by the front switch and threw open the latch on the door. When I opened up, I got some fresh air and a lot more. He plopped in with the door, spread eagle, like a sack of overripe potatoes, and he didn't move. I bent over and got a quick look. First thing that struck me was his unusual dress. Frock coat, headdress, heavy shoes, all in black. Just then, another figure moved from the shadows outside. A little beggar named Samak I'd seen a few times wandering the native quarter. All right, nothing here for you, Samak. But what is this? Imshi, move along. A man drunk with a liquor. Nobody's rolling him, Samak. On your way. But why not, Fendi? Anyhow, you're wrong. This guy isn't drunk. He's dead. white is true by the knife. So now it does not matter. I said cut it, Summer. Get out of those pockets. But Fendi... Yeah, give me that watch. I was first to find it, not you. Let go. Give me that. Fendi, look. Look, look. There's a name in their wallet. Sure. It's an identification. Please let me see. All right. Keep your hands off. Anamali. Muscois. Muscois. What about it? Hey, come back here. Samak was gone just that quick. I'd caught the look in his eyes, and it was fright that sent him scampering off into the dark. Something about the wallet. So I took a closer look, and the name meant everything. It was the name of a man I'd heard a lot about, but had never seen before. Jonathan Mello. Jonathan Mello. A man of unknown nationality, he'd become a missionary for the Coptic faith, an ancient branch of Christianity centered in old Cairo. Several years before, he had journeyed to the African interior to bring information to the native tribes. Since then, few outsiders had seen him. But ever so often, a word had come of his good works and personal sacrifices. And his name had become almost a legend throughout the Middle East. Yes, Jonathan Mello was a man greatly loved and respected by everyone. And here he lay murdered at the door to my cafe. 
His name had meant something to Samak, too, and I figured the little beggar would soon be spreading the word around. So I got the body inside, latched the door. I had another look at the wallet. It was empty except for a receipt from the Pyramid House in Cairo dated the day before. And I put in a hurry-up call to Captain Sam Sabaya at his home. Fifteen minutes later, Sam was in my tampering, looking down at the lifeless form. So? And Bruce Monroe had once been caught splitting the proceeds from a bank robbery with Floyd Carpa. So I went there. After all, I was a policeman. I had to ask questions of somebody. Danny! Danny, how are you? You don't have to tell me. You look wonderful. Wonderful. You checking up on me, Danny? No, no, you're not checking up. A social call, huh? Sure, a social call. How are you, Danny? Wonderful, wonderful. Now, how about me, huh? How about me? All settled down. Settled down a two-story house in Flushing. Me and my family. Respectable. Uh, family, huh? I'd like to meet them. Sure, Danny. They're upstairs. I keep them in a cage. Yeah, that way you can keep your eye on them. They're problem children. Children with problems, Danny. Come on up. Take a look. I'd like to. What have you been doing for the last couple of years, Bruce, since jail? It's feeding time, Danny. They like company when they eat. Yeah. What have you been... Out here, Danny. I keep my family in a glass cage on the roof. Look at them. Thirty beauties. Makes a man proud. I'm proud, Danny. Pigeons. Sure, what did you think? Quite a cage, huh? Isn't it? You bet it is. Let's go in. Come on, it's feeding time. Hiya, Jasper. Oh, Mildred. Oh, George, who plucked out your tail feathers? What have you been doing since jail, Bruce? I'll bet you didn't come here as a social caller after all. Your buddy, Floyd Carper, was found shot to death. They all wind up that way. You? I'm an exception. I retired. I'm respectable. I raised a family. Here, fellas, eat. Come on and eat. <laughs> Look at those pigeons eat. Did you kill Carper? Nonsense, Danny. You know that's nonsense. I haven't seen him for ages and ages. Tell me something, Bruce. How can you afford all this? Nice house, large family. It's a drain, isn't it? Business is good. What business? I'm a licensed used car dealer. An international permit, even. I drive used cars into Canada. I have an outlet there. Oh, come on, Elliot. Eat your corn. Well, you won't eat, Danny. No more bank heisting, huh? Danny, you know that's nonsense, too. Look, Danny, mm -hmm. Danny, frankly, Danny, you're upsetting all of us. I'm being voted in tonight. i got to make a speech. Flushing Homing Pigeon Society's voting me in tonight. Questions like yours could ruin my acceptance speech. Bruce Monroe placed a kernel of corn on his lips, puckered them, and then extended a finger. Lucille fluttered to the finger, was lifted to Monroe's mouth, and daintily pecked away at the lunch so lovingly served. All that billing and cooing did something to me. So I got out. The ride back to headquarters didn't clear up a thing. The same nagging questions rolled alongside me. Why was the hoodlum Floyd Carper dead? What had the hoodlum Floyd Carper to do with the life and death of a boy and a girl whose lives had been ordinary, whose death spectacular and grotesque? Sergeant Totaglia couldn't make sense out of it either, or as he put it... I can't make no sense out of it, Danny, either. I have been mulling over this sad affair with the missus, uh, Mrs. Tartaglia. She can't make no sense out of it either. No? Uh, no, Danny. The scene of our mulling it over, I remember like it was a picture on a calendar. 
Mrs. Tartaglia was hovering over her mix master, hustling up some pizza dough. I was reading to her from the paper in my stocking feet. Ah, uh, we was very domestic last night, Mrs. Tartaglia and Tartaglia, I. Tartaglia, have you? What have you found out about Charles Kimball, the dead boy? Oh, oh, sure, Danny, sure. I got it right here. What we have found out about Charles Kimball is that he was a good boy with an honorable war record, with decent law-abiding friends, with a decent law-abiding job in a paper factory. Uh, he was a good boy, Danny. Yeah, that's what I thought. Anything else? Yeah, a couple items. Tartaglia, what do I have to do to get you to tell them to me? Oh, nothing, Danny. Just ask me. Don't look that way, Danny. I'll tell you. Tracing down the truck with which the Kimball car collided is still in the process of being traced down. Uh, this means they haven't found it. Well, tell them to find it. Yeah, I'll do that, Danny. Now, here is the Beastie Resistant, a teletype writer from the Poughkeepsie Police Department. Well, what makes it so resistant? It wants Floyd Carper. Huh? Yeah, Floyd Carper. They want him on suspicion of a bank robbery that took place recently in Poughkeepsie. They want to know, do we got him, this Floyd Carper? They said the bank teller can identify him. Do we got him, Tataglio? Uh, yeah, yeah, in a manner of speaking. So tell them that, Tartaglia. Put it on a teletype. We don't want to keep Poughkeepsie in suspense, do we? So you're Danny Clover, huh? Been reading about you in the papers up in Poughkeepsie. Still trying to solve that honeymoon couple murder, I read. Which one of you is from the Poughkeepsie police? Me. Who'd you think? This little guy's the bank teller. This little guy's Oliver Hilliard. How are you, Mr. Hilliard? Oh, don't blush, Oliver. The man just asked you hello. That's all. Answer, Mr. Clover. No? <laughs> what are you going to do with a guy like that, Danny? He shoots and wounds a heister? Who could be Floyd Carper. <laughs> now he blushes. This way. I want you to look at Floyd Carper. Then Mr. Hilliard will know for sure. Uh, down this corridor. Oh, you got him on ice, huh? Say, what do you think of our work up in Poughkeepsie, Danny? I haven't heard. About matching a three-day bank robbery with a known bank robber. Clever, huh? You're real magnificent. I knew you'd say that. Nothing spiteful about you big city police. We're going into the morgue now, Mr. Hilliard. Don't worry. It'll only take a second. You'll be all right. Sure, sure. Oliver will be all right. He helped us, Oliver did. Described the bank robber. Picked out his picture from our files. That's the type of citizen we have up in Poughkeepsie, Danny. Cooperative. Right over here. Hey, this is quite a production you got here. Only at Poughkeepsie, we got a morgue that's something to write home about. You feel all right, Mr. Hilliard? Oliver feels fine, don't you, Oliver? Bet you can't wait till you get home and tell your wife about this, huh? All you have to do is take one look, Mr. Hilliard. Flip back the shroud, Danny. Well? That him, Oliver? This Floyd Carper, the one who held you up? Yeah. Oliver nods his head, yeah, Danny. Positively, huh? How do you like a cooperative citizen like that, Danny? The kind we grow in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie's policeman, the bank teller, and I had nothing else to say to each other after that. When it finally registered on the Poughkeepsie policeman, he shook my hand heartily, thanked me from the heart, wrapped a hearty armor on the bank teller's shoulders, and led him back to Poughkeepsie. I started back to my office. On the way, Tartaglia shoved a phone message in my hand. It was from Detective Mugovan. Mugovan had something, the message said. Something maybe hot, maybe cold. Anyway, the something was in a garage uptown. Come right away, it said. So I changed course and went to the garage. 
Uh, this is called Molden's Garage, Danny. Caterers to the desires and ailments of trucks, moving vans, trailerways, all kinds of heavy vehicles. Interesting. Yeah, like you say, interesting. Uh, this one over here, for example. Fascinating piece of machinery. Why does it fascinate you, Mother? Two reasons, Danny. First, because it's exactly like one of my kids' toys. A trailer way, they call it. It picks up and delivers automobiles, carries them on the highways and the byways. Somehow it gives me a romantical feeling, these automobile carriers. The second reason, Mugovan? The second reason, also fascinating. This trailerway is the truck you've had the whole department looking for, including me, Dan. What? Yeah, the one into which the honeymoon car crashed, or vice versa, before going over the bridge into the river. Are you sure? Danny, in something so fascinatingly routine as this, I wouldn't be sure... I've been scraping hunks of paint off of it, trotting them down a technical, trotting back, examining the stent and the grill work, trotting down the technical, trotting... Uh, Muggerman, trot would be asking too much of you to shut your big mouth? Oh, not too much. Something, Danny? All this routine adds up to something? Danny. Danny, come... There was nobody on deck, so I wandered down below. A passageway led to a big lounge, complete with a big bar. There were some cigarettes on a side table, American brand, so I took one. I reached for a match, but I didn't need it. And I saw her walking towards me, the flame of the cigarette lighter glowing on her face, green eyes, tawny blonde hair, and round shoulders. The perfect piece of equipment to make a layout like this complete. I accepted the light. Thanks. Not at all. Was I expecting you? No, uh... I'm an intruder. Suppose I start screaming. Suit yourself, lady. I'm a little out of practice. Well, how do you like it? Mm. Everything's real shipshape. The boat? Yeah, it's nice, too. All the comforts of life, huh? Almost. But I like to keep looking around, meet new people. Yeah. Your deal here looks good to me. Uh, who comes with it? Bourbon? Sure, the expensive kind. Our tastes are alike, aren't they? Maybe we have a lot in common. Oh, money, boats. I like Americans, too. I've been trying to remember. They grow them like you in St. Louis or Chicago. Uh, you're right the first time. My name's Rocky. I'm Corrine. Here you are, Rocky. Thanks again, Corrine. Why don't we sit down? Over here. Uh, maybe I ought to check the passenger list first. We're alone, Rocky, for a while. Okay. Well, uh, she asked me why I came here. Is that important? Oh, makes good conversation. Wouldn't you rather just... You get on to sail fast, don't you? We like boats, remember? So does your boyfriend. Do we have to talk about him? Yeah. Tell me about Jonathan Mello. Don't you know about him? Only that he's passed up just about everything most men want for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all this is quite a switch. He's been a good man. He's helped a lot of people. Now he deserves the good things in life. Yeah, he hasn't missed a trick. Where does it go from here? We're getting out of Africa. From now on, we're going where the bright lights are. See the world. Why don't you come along? Just the uh, three of us? There'll be lots of people around. It would be easy. How about it, Rocky? Corrine... You know where Jonathan Mello is right now? He's settling some business. What kind of business? Oh, I don't know. It's with a Prescott exporting company, Jared Prescott. 
Jonathan says as soon as that's settled, we're leaving. Well, happy sailing, Corrine. Rocky, you could wait for him here. No, thanks. Why? I don't like things that don't make sense. And none of this does. The liquor, the yacht, you, and especially... What, Rocky? That's something you got to find out for yourself, Corrine. I don't want to be around when you do. There was no place to go now but to the Prescott Exporting Company. It had a big layout of offices just off one of the Moose Keeper's R's. I liked the taboo the girl at the desk was wearing, but I didn't like cooling my heels. So the next time she went out for a drink, I opened Prescott's door and went on in. He was on the phone. He was a big guy with a crew haircut and smoked a fat cigar. The ashes falling in his white vest as he talked. Surely a man like Jonathan Mello can be found in Cairo. You'll find him, that's all. Maybe I can help you, Prescott. Who are you? My name's Jordan. Jordan? Jordan. Let's see here. I don't recall an appointment with you. Get one now, if you don't mind. But I do mind. What do you mean, barging in here like this, Jordan? Came about the big deal. What deal? Get to the point. With Mello, Jonathan Mello. I understand he wants it consummated in a hurry. Why isn't he here? I had an appointment with him three hours ago. Have you seen him? Yeah, saw him early this morning. Well, it's not doing me any good. Mr. Prescott, has it occurred to you that Jonathan Mello won't be here at all? That's ridiculous. Look, Jordan, I don't know what he's trying to pull on me, but you tell him ivory or no ivory. He doesn't show up here before hey, the day. wait a minute. Ivory, did you say? Certainly I did. That's not beat around the bush, Jordan. And by the way, what have you got to do with it? Maybe there isn't any ivory. Look, I'm nobody's fool. Why do you think I sent a safari to the interior myself to check on it? My mistake. Jonathan Mello discovered the hoard of ivory himself. He has a right to sell and I'm ready to buy. For how much? Fifty, hundred thousand dollars? We deal in Egyptian pounds here, Jordan. Besides, nobody's going to top my price. Mello knows that. Just how much do you know about Mello, Mr. Prescott? That's beside the point. Everyone knows about him. Yeah, I thought I did, too. A lowly missionary with a lot of high ideals. And get the picture now. Expensive liquor, a yacht, and a slick girlfriend to go with it. How he spends the money is none of my affair. But his own people will be interested. You know anything about the Coptics? I'm a businessman, Jordan. I'm not interested in Coptics or anything else except a perfectly legitimate deal. Okay, we'll leave it that way. Jordan, I don't know who you are or what you want, but you tell Mr. Mello I won't wait much longer. Either he shows up today or the whole deal is off. Sure, I'll tell him. Next time I see him. I had everything from Prescott but the answer to the jackpot question. Who killed Jonathan Mello and why? I figured the ivory hoard he had uncovered somewhere in Africa had something to do with it. That's why I was scouting for a payphone to bring Sam Sabai up to date. I avoided the bazaar and had walked maybe a couple of blocks when I spotted a character hugging the shadows not so far back and staying on my tail. I stepped it up, figuring to double back at him when all at once he was in the center of the street and yelling. It was Samak, the little beggar who had found me with Mello's body that morning. That's when I tried for the sprint record. I left a lot of natives far behind, but Samak had his robe up around his knees and kept coming. Tomac was lagging, too, by then. I slowed to catch my breath when I saw another native running from the other direction right at me. Right then, I picked an alley. It was the wrong one. Not more than 30 paces ahead, it came to... Get up and leave. Tall woman and angular. A small black straw hat with linen flowers faded. Gray dress designed for modesty. 
and women against whom 50 years had conspired. Slow walk to door. The adjustments, straw hat, linen flowers, and dress. Be neat. The world's out there. And neatness is all you have left to show. And sit with it for a while and consider. Man, John Stewart, slashed in a subway by unknown assailant. And he has enemies, a woman had just said, who want to kill him. What enemies? She doesn't know. Suppose this question to yourself. A man, an ordinary man, seemingly, dealer in ribbons and compacts and shoe trees. What had he done that demanded revenge, if anything? So find out. Go to his place of business, globe notions and novelties. Storefront painted with a planet that had a face which smiled and was tied round with a belt with an initial buckle. Go in. The man who stood at the back of the merchandise tables and smiled at you was not Mr. Stewart. My name's Robert... How are you? Fine. I'm looking for John Stewart, Mr. Roberts. Captain John stepped out a few days ago. Hasn't been back. Something I can do for you? Well, I'm from the police. Something I... I can do for you? It seems like Mr. Stewart got into a little... I asked you a question. Mr. Stewart is your partner, is that right? Since seven years, that answer... Is Mr. Stewart in the habit of stepping out a few days at a time? No. How come it happened this time? I don't know. John said I'll be seeing you. I take his word for it. And this sort of thing's never happened before. When did I say that? You said You asked whether it was a habit once before, and this time doesn't make it a habit. Now, does it? Does it? The last time. The last time was a month ago, when his brother died. He took off to care for the funeral arrangements, to grieve, to give solace to his brother's widow. His brother's widow, Leona Stewart? That's right, his sister-in-law, Leona. How did John Stewart's brother die? Took sick. Never got well. Mr. Roberts, do you know anybody who would want to do away with your partner? Do away with him? To kill him. Question I can't answer. You? Huh? I never got that jealous of his matchbox collection or his seashells. Anything else you want to know? No. That's a good answer. Goodbye. Wait till I give you a look, see to Johnny Stewart's room. It'll open a whole new horizon for you. A way of life. You know him well, Mr. Anderson? I counter with a question of my own. I read you were with him last night. That's right. I read his arm was sliced open from knuckle to elbow. I read also he clenched his teeth down in the whole You thing. said you had a question, Mr. Anderson. How well you got to know Johnny Stewart last night is how well I got to know him in ten years of relieving him of his room rent. Gaze. Gaze yourself upon the rented room of John Stewart. Dealer in notions and souvenirs. <laughs> Messy, ain't it? Uh-huh. You have any idea where Stewart might be? Where... If I told you he was probably out collecting things to add to the collection of junk he's already got, I would probably be 100% right. Well, thanks a lot, Mr. Anderson. Hey, don't go. i, I got to show you a few things. Uh, like this. These cardboard boxes full of match covers. Collector's items, huh? For a grown man, huh? Look, Mr. Anderson. Wait, 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 wait. Over here. Laid out on a bureau and not to be touched by a cleaning woman's hands or mine or yours. Maybe three pounds of seashells. Laid out. Very neat, huh? You get a big kick out of John Stewart's life, don't you, Mr. Anderson? What's more, I don't often get the chance to share it with anyone. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You ain't seen. You know what's in here? Rocks. Rocks like kids throw at each other. Like things crawl under. And in this box, broken glass. I peeked yesterday when he wasn't here. A collector of broken pieces of glass. A man. And here, uh, this sack in the corner. Guess what's in? Dirt. A sack of dirt. For flowers? For what? Dirty trail all over my steps. 
30 statues away. You too, Mr. Anderson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, with one exception. Uh, you find Stuart, suggest he live someplace else. Or die someplace else. Either one. <laughs> That John Stewart is as yet not to be found. All right, Gino, uh, what else? A talking to of Mr. Stewart's neighbors revealed he is a man who is a hat-tipper and greeter. More than that, nothing. Talks hardly to anyone. However, he has been seen doing a very peculiar thing. No. He has been seen stopping in stride to pick up from the sidewalk cigar bands. Hmm. It is my surmise Danny, that... Danny, found your man, Danny. John Stewart? Yippo. John Stewart. Where is he? Queens Bridge. Huh? Being photographed. On his face. How did... With a knife, Danny. Murdered. Stabbed to death. You are listening to Broadway's My Beat. Written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. And starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. America answered the call of the 1953 Red Cross campaign now underway. Whoever you are, wherever you may be, if disaster strikes you or those you love, the Red Cross will be on the job to save life and property, to give survivors a fresh start. America's young sons in Korea know the work of the Red Cross. They can measure its effectiveness in lives saved time and again through the blood program. This month, now. Give generously to your local Red Cross. In the soft night of March, Broadway's heart beats fast and the walk is slow. Dream walk, languid, rhythm to the even pulsings of light, to the cadence of muted trumpet drifting out of loudspeakers, out of upstairs halls where dancing is to be had. And the face of the crowd is veiled with memory of other spring night times. When also the sheen of neon floated through a girl's hair. When also laughter spilled swiftly out of doorways. And shadows were scented with fleeting perfumes. So follow close on the heels of night. Maybe this one, this time, this year. Maybe it won't get away from you. In a room of a house, suburban home in Queens... A window open to the warmth of March night and a woman looking out at it, reacting to it. <laughs> Mrs. Stewart. Uh, oh, uh, I'm sorry. I remembered something. Something very long ago when I was a girl. Something I thought I'd never, never remember. Hey, you were saying something to me, Mr. Clover, and I... I'm sorry. About John Stewart, about your brother-in-law. He's dead. The things you told me about him in my office yesterday... I know. Vague, useless, unimportant things. The way my life is. The way my house is. Everything now. You said he knew someone wanted to kill him. And I said I didn't know who, because he never told me. Hmm. On the Queensboro Bridge. He must have been coming here. To me. You saw him often? He uh, came here often? After my husband's death, almost every day. Till 
putter in the garden to do little fixing jobs about the house. The screens for summer, paint for summer. Try to end my grief by summer. Uh, for my husband's death, Kenneth's death, his own brother's death. Uh, Miss Stewart. No one cared about my husband's dying, Mr. Clover. Or how I felt about it. Except my brother. My husband was a drunkard. Lived and died a drunkard. Oh. A neighbor found him in the gutter and didn't help him home. Just came to my door and told me about it and went away. When I got there, Kenneth had been lying there in coldness and wetness and drunkenness. I don't know how long. I brought him home, and I called our doctor, and he couldn't save him. But he performed an act of penance. What do you mean? He came to the funeral. He was the only outsider there. Then he was a close friend? I suppose so. Kenneth and I had known him almost all our married life. Dr. Sherwood, Henry Sherwood, has an office on Ruxton Avenue. Mm -hmm. He signed Kenneth's death certificate. He came to the funeral. I suppose you call him a close friend. Except for John Stewart. Is... Except for John, who is dead. Who was taken from me, as my husband was. As everything in my life has been. It was through this window, and I remembered something a little while ago. What was it? What? Woman, and a day's dying, with sorrow and infinite tears that washed backward with a bitter chemistry. Woman who forgot how to cry so that other people could see, whose stricken eyes didn't match the rest of her face. Leave her. Street and home and sleep. Sleep and... And the alarm clock, the punctual awakening, the jolt. Roll over and see how the day is. Gray. So dress and go out to live with a gray day. Phone headquarters and leave word you weren't coming in right away because you had a stop to make. Friend of the family and doctor, healer and signer of death certificates. Go there. The cardboard sign in the door window tells you the doctor is in to enter and be seated through the doorway and the vestibule and into a waiting room of old oak chairs and a table of flimsy wooden woven straw which held magazines catering to handymen about the home, druggists, and those who missed the April 1937 report on the Denver Medical Conclave. Also to be noted, large painting of a tiger and an autographed photograph of one Dr. Buford Cosgrove in memory of the Medical Conclave, Denver, April 1937. And later... A door opens at one end of the room, and a man with a pink face beckons. In my office, please. Sit down, please. What seems to be your trouble? I'm not here as a patient, Dr. Sherwood. I see. Who sent you to see me? I'm from the police. Uh, my diploma's on the wall, sir. If you'll be kind enough. Thank you. I always ask to see the badge. Always, huh? The police drop in here often? What do you want? Information about a man named Kenneth Stewart, a patient of yours. Who died? Information about him. Gladly. An alcoholic. He died from alcoholism? You might say that. 
six months ago, he contracted low-bound pneumonia while out on a drunk. He was cured. Close, but a cure. I won. And last month? Precisely the same thing. Pneumonia, same type. I lost. Kenneth Stewart died. You had been his physician for quite a time, I understand. I need to know something about him. An alcoholic. I'm no psychologist. He drank. I have no idea why. I couldn't get him to go to a sanitarium. I lost there, too. Were you his brother John's doctor, too? No. However, that man was in a couple of days ago. He asked me how his brother Kenneth had died. I told him the same thing I'm telling you, pneumonia. He threw a handful of dirt at me. What? He had a brown paper bag of dirt in his pocket. He threw a handful at me. If you were me, you wouldn't look like that, sir. Dirt in the brown paper bag is fairly mild for some of the neuroses uh, that uh, I... Anything else you can tell me, Doctor? Uh, not a thing. Now, you'll excuse me, won't you? A regular little run where we're beating at Johnny Stewart's door, huh? He never had this much traffic in all the years. Man, girl, a dog. You'll just unlock the door for me, Anderson. I'll do more than that for you. I'll stick around because it's my rooming house, and I got a niche to know what goes on in my house. See? It hasn't changed. It hasn't been touched. I could have sold tickets, but I got a respect for the dead. Don't let it eat you, Anderson. You got a yen for a brown paper sack of dirt. It don't bother me hardly at all. Uh, you going to take it out of here? Uh-huh. Yeah, it makes it more sanitary that way. Uh, anything else you want? Uh, this box with the broken glass. I'll close my eyes. Won't let out a peep. You got a pocket for the seashells? They'll hardly take up any space at all. Yeah, you're looking for somebody, mister? Uh, Mr. John Stewart, is, is he here? He's dead, that's where he is. Cold stone dead someplace else. You don't read, mister? Oh, I didn't know. What do you I want don't... with Stewart? Look here, I don't I'm want I'm from the to... police. What do you want with Stuart? Well, uh, only to give him this, this envelope. I'm sorry, I didn't know he was dead. Let me have it. Thanks. It probably won't do you any good to read it. It's all very technical. Chemical symbols, aren't they? Yes, but of course. Uh, you see, uh, Mr. Stewart brought in a little sample of earth the other day. You're and... a chemist? Oh, oh no, oh, oh my, no. I, I have a little garden supply shop down the street, and... Mr. Stewart came in and gave me some earth out of a brown paper bag, like you have in your hands. And he said he was doing some gardening. And would I analyze the sample of soil he had, whether it was acid and all? And, and I said I'd have to send it out and it'd take a day or yeah, so. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. You too, Anderson. Danny Clover speaking. Denison, Danny. Yeah? I'm down here in technical. You want the quantitative on these samples? Huh? You want to know how much of what are in the samples or just what are in them? Or just what are in them. Well, here's what you want to know, then. Dirt scrapings from the bits of broken glass you sent down here have the identical chemical composition on that report. You mean the gardener's report? Yeah, that's right. Also, the broken glass is the type used for whiskey bottles. You didn't want me to try to piece together the fragments of glass, did you? No. Anything else? Yeah, get up here. Dr. Sinsky speaking. Danny Clover, doctor. Can I see you in my office for a minute? Sure, Danny, sure. I'll be right up. 
say it's tough to believe, Danny. That's all. Dr. Sinsky just told it to you, Dennison. And Dr. Sinsky just showed it to you in books. That's why he keeps those books in his office, to prove things to skeptics like you. Okay, okay. Ring the bell. Yes, what? Oh, hello, Mr. Clover. Hello, Mr. Stewart. This is Detective Dennison. How are you? How do you do? Please come in. Thank you. Well, what can I do for you, gentlemen? We have to talk with you some more. Well, I don't see why. We'll tell you why, Mr. Stewart. Police officers just don't knock on doors without reasons. What is your reason, Mr. Clover? It's about the death of your husband. Well, that's strange. And about the death of your brother-in-law. How strange is that, Mr. Stewart? Mr. Clover. Yes? Forgive me. Suddenly I'm tired. Suddenly I want to... Oh, sure, sure. Sit down, Mr. Stewart. I don't like your friend, Mr. Clover. Oh, yeah, I'm not very popular. Something I've always carried around with me. Please tell me what it is you want. Your husband was a drunk, wasn't he? I told you that myself. How come he was a drunk, Mr. Stewart? He had a taste for whiskey, that's all I know. But there's always other reasons. Didn't you uh, get along, or what? I told you before, Mr. Clover. I'm tired. And I told you before I didn't like your friend. For the next few minutes, Mr. Stewart, you're going to have to bear with it. What about you, Mrs. Stewart? What do you mean? What kind of life you've led, your husband? What kind of life do you think it's been? Rough, huh? Now will you tell me, Mr. Clover, just what you came for? You murdered your husband, didn't you? Listen. Yeah? I... I have pictures of myself when I was young. Would you like to see them? They're upstairs. Uh, we've seen pretty girls, Mrs. Stewart, and you must have been pretty. I was... Simply, I was, I was considered very pretty. That's what I meant when I asked you what your life has been. The night before... Yeah? The night before I made up my mind... To kill your husband? Yes. I lay there and I thought about how my life has been with him lying there, with the... Reek. And that was my life. So you poisoned him, huh? In the booze? Yes. Mrs. Stewart, a little while ago we found out from our police physician that the gross symptoms of the poison you used and pneumonia are the same. How did you know that? It's irony, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, how did you know it? The first time my husband got sick, six months ago... I, I've got a book, a home medical book. The symptoms, I saw them. They were almost the same. And last month when he was pulled out of a wet gutter, drunk, you fed him the poison, killed him. And your doctor thought it was the same thing. Yes. And you killed your brother-in-law because he suspected what had happened. I should have known better than to bury that bottle in the garden. My brother-in-law always liked to putter around there. He found that broken bottle and dug up the dirt around it, huh? I know. He came into my house, 
and looked at me. Then he threw a handful of dirt in my face. Then he told me. I tried to kill him in the subway. We'd better get going, Mrs. Stewart. If only he hadn't found out. It would have been all right. Then the neighbors would have come and sat with me and talked with me and not been embarrassed because I had a drunken husband. Get her coat, Dennison. Yeah. He was better off dead. And so was I. I'm 51 years old. It had to stop sometime, the life I had. Someone had to stop it. So I did. Here, I brought your scarf, too, Mrs. Stewart. It's cold outside. Good. It's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Bob Lauder, Johnny. Tri-State Guarantee. Hiya, Bob. Been a long time. Uh, I wish it were a longer time. Uh, nothing personal in that, is it? No, no, just bad temper. I'm on the prod, Johnny. We had a pearl necklace swipe, and it's got me irritated. Does the same thing to an oyster, the way I hear. Yeah, but in reverse. A reputable dealer, like myself. Sure. When you got Mello's letter, you sent Matson out to locate the stuff, got rid of Mello, and came back in his place. All I had to do was get rid of Matson, and the road was clear. Except for you. I'm next. Sometime tomorrow morning, they'll find you here, victim of the Coptic's attrition. Come closer, Jordan. You see, I'm a very thorough man. I don't intend to miss. The shots echoed back and forth from the sandstone walls, and I wondered why I heard. Prescott hadn't moved. Then I saw the two spots in his white vest. The gun suddenly dropped from his hand. He pivoted slowly and fell back down into the dirt of the alley. You all right, Mr. Jordan? Yes. Thanks to you, Jethro. Well, this is the second time today will not be necessary again. No. Samak's still loose, but nobody to work for. The police will find him soon enough. You know, I'm wondering something, Jethro. Yes? Why did you do this? Just to get Prescott or to save me? How can I say, Mr. Jordan? I only know that now the way is clear for the great work Jonathan Miller wanted done. I'm happy for that. You can be happy for a lot of things. No. You see, he taught me the ways of peace, not violence. Tonight, I've killed a man. I think Mello would understand. Yes, he would understand. That is why we all loved him so much. CBS at a new time next week, 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, for another story of adventure and intrigue when we take you back to Cairo and the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Rocky Jordan, starring Jack Moyles in the title role, is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music by Richard Arant. Tonight's story by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman. 
Remember the new time next week for Rocky Jordan. Five o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Larry Thor speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.